Hello everyone and welcome to another episode. This week, it occurred to me there's a pretty common topic that comes up in work-related discussions on places like LinkedIn, in various business and career blogs, and on social media, on other, on other sites uh, other than LinkedIn. LinkedIn just happens to be the one I read the most. And that's difficult conversations. It comes up a lot in executive coaching work that I do. And there's been a few notable books on the topic. So it got me thinking, what is a difficult conversation? What has changed over the years that makes it harder to have them? Are there, are there some simple tips and techniques that we can talk about today that might give us a smoother pathway to keeping alignment in the workplace. So let's get started. What I just said uh, a few seconds ago, that might be a good thing to keep in the back of our minds, that ultimately the goal is you're trying to stay as aligned as possible as a team, as a company, as a project, whatever the collective group might be. And it could be this is to do with your personal life. So maybe a group of friends or family, you know, might be an equally important substitute for you. So let's take a few steps back. Now that we've established that the goal is in line, uh, alignment, and I was, I was about to say the word enlightenment, and I corrected myself to alignment, but now that I think about it, is it the worst thing to go for enlightenment as well? We'll come back to that if it seems worthwhile. But let's, let's really do the, the spade work here and talk about, I guess, the definitions of things. So starting with what is indeed a difficult conversation? Well, obviously we know what a conversation is. So let's contextualize that in the workplace. It is a back and forth between two people who may or may not, and here's the caveat, may or may not be at the same level of power. One person might report to the other, just as a very common example. And so the other piece that might be interesting with the conversation is, with, as with any conversation, one person might be the one who feels the burden to initiate the conversation. Now, it could be a fun conversation, like you're desperate to tell someone, oh, I have some amazing news and I really want to share it with a friend or a coworker. But the point is that at any point in time, and I want you to visualize this, with two people, one person is just sort of going about their routine, if you will, and the other person is bursting to discuss something. And so I guess when it comes to unpleasant news, and that's the first ding on our list, the difficult conversations are often characterized by the imparting of unpleasant news. Common examples might be layoffs, uh, constructive feedback to use a very gentle term. You're telling someone how to do things a little bit better than they might be doing at that time. 
But the point is, again, it's really important we visualize this. So one person has no idea or very little idea that a tough conversation is coming their way. The other person is racking their brains trying to figure out how should I say it the best way so I don't wreck the relationship, be it a friendship, be it a co-worker relationship, uh, be it a mentor-mentee uh, dynamic, so people uh, that report to you at work. But here's what's interesting, and I think this is uh, notable to the idea of A, why is it difficult, and B, why that's not such a bad thing, is it's only difficult if you try not to hurt the other person's feelings. If I don't care about the other person's feelings or what they think of me, it's not a difficult conversation, right? I just say what's on my mind, use the bluntest, meanest, most hurtful language I can think of, be quick and abrupt about it, maybe even just write an email or a text message. I mean, the coldest, most distant technique you can come up with. But it is indeed because we care about both things, right? About the other person's feelings and also how they might see us. Because this goes without saying, right? Everybody wants to be seen as a relatively nice person. It's not always possible, but it is a worthy goal to have because nobody wants to be thought of as difficult or mean or rude or cold, etc. So let's go back to that list, right? What makes a conversation difficult, right? And what are we even talking about? So where have we got so far? There's definitely the piece about the imparting of bad news or unpleasant news, okay? The second piece is you're trying to make sure that the recipient's feelings aren't too badly hurt, that it isn't so personally taken or taken so personally, that's better grammar, it isn't taken so personally that it makes the continuation of the work difficult. Okay. And finally, you're also trying to preserve your own persona, your image, your, your mask, yourself, right? To use the cultural term. The term from culture studies is what I meant. So let's now talk about the anatomy of that conversation, that situation, and ask ourselves, is there a way to run down a checklist, to script most, maybe not all, but most difficult conversations in such a way that more often than not, you can get through them relatively painlessly. Before we do that, I want you to imagine a situation, a situation that is unpleasant, right? And think about the coping mechanisms that we adopt to get through them. We'll come back to difficult conversations in a second, but I think the example might help. Let's say um, you have some uh, tests that your doctor orders, a very common one that all of us undergo, maybe once a year, maybe once in two years, is uh, blood work. Okay, and I hope nobody's too squeamish, so hang tight if you are. But uh, blood work is no fun. Nobody likes needles, right? So what do we do? We grit it. We try and find, from the best of our knowledge, the most professional, well-reviewed clinic 
people love online reviews these days. You can do that. I don't know if you knew that or didn't know that. And you can try to find a, a lab in your local area that people generally like. They say it was painless, friendly, and quick. And that defines the best possible outcome of getting blood drawn for various medical purposes. And even while you're in the lab, right, you're trying to make a conversation. I've had uh, phlebotomists, by the way, that's what they're called, phlebotomists, uh, who are very conversational, very friendly, and keep you distracted, right? That's part of their goal. They keep you distracted through conversation while they subtly do their job. And if they're really good at it and they have enough experience, it is uh, over in a few seconds, the actual piece of it. It's really the waiting, if you think about it. It's really the waiting and the sort of bracing yourself for the needle that's probably more of a stress than it is the actual process itself. So now let's bring it back to difficult conversations, right? And see if we can learn something. What do we learn? First thing is you can absolutely do your best to do your research about the other party and about the situation. Write down your thoughts. Okay. What is this person like? Are they someone who, uh, you know, can take me cutting to the chase? Do they prefer it that way? Some people say that, like rip off the bandaid, cut to the bad, cut to the bad news. I just want to hear it. It's easier. We get it over with. And they're very upfront about that, right? And so if you have that rapport with the recipient of the bad news, then that gives you a running start. Let's say we don't. That means we have to do some buildup, some distraction, like the phlebotomist taking the blood draw, right? And we have to use, uh, shall we say, some couch terms in some cases. Like a fun example, in my more recent uh, visit to such a laboratory, I actually saw this in, I happened to see it on a instruction sheet that the phlebotomist was following. It said it was like a list of steps. And at the point where they're supposed to, I mean, to be straight about it, put the needle in your arm and take the blood out, right? I hope nobody's too squeamish, but it is what it is. It didn't say that on the sheet or on the screen. You know what it said? Draw the patient as if I'm a piece of art. Draw being blood draw, right? So you're seeing how they use couch terms, even when it's just not even meant for the patient's eyes. So language choice makes a lot of difference. It doesn't mean that we tell lies. It doesn't mean that we're insincere. It does mean that we choose our words carefully such that we are least hurtful without being untruthful. Least hurtful without being untruthful. So. To get to that point, though, there's a process. Just like the phlebotomist checklist, we have to have our own checklist. So the first thing is, of course, you have to book time. If you don't have time to talk, and yes, difficult conversations, at least initially, you want to have it live. In-person is always best, but these days, Zoom is considered a decent substitute. Not my favorite, but let's work with it. And the third in line is, of course, the phone call in that order. So you try your best to have it in person. If not possible, then Zoom. If that's not possible, then a phone call will have to do. So the first thing is to get time on the calendar. 
you want to give them just enough of a heads up that we're going to be talking about X. You don't necessarily have to give them the direction of the talk, but you definitely want to let them know that it's about such and such project. Or you could give it a neutral term. We're doing your regular performance review, right? Or we're doing our regular check-in, however you'd like to frame it. Okay. Next, let's think about the process. So first, you need to get your own thoughts in order, the, you being the person initiating the conversation. So in my example, we're still sticking with the idea that it's the person who's the manager, the leader, and you're giving, shall we say, criticism to uh, the other person on the other line, the other end of the line. So first, we get our own facts in order. What is this conversation about? And what is this converse conversation not about? Frequently, what can happen and what makes these conversations difficult is we try to cover too much ground or we're too circular in the way we go about it. What we want to do is we want to find sort of these clear-cut bullet points. And essentially, the conversation becomes drawing a line through them that connects all of them together and limits the range of the conversation to only the most important, concrete, actionable items. Let's, let's throw together a very brief example. So we're going to talk today about Project X. I checked in with so-and-so to get the status update. I heard that the team is making great progress on this item, this item, this item. Kudos on that. I also learned that we could be doing better on this and this and this. What are your thoughts? How do you think we could be doing better? So let's take a look at the language I used in my example. We start with some factual updates. We start with some background. And then we get to the part, the areas for improvement, right? Already we're saying you, we're using words like areas for improvement or areas for growth might be even a, even a more uh, thoughtful way of going about it. So we're not hiding from the problem, but we're also using it as a teachable moment rather than a moment for reprimanding. Unless, of course, that kind of line has been crossed, in which case you're probably going to have some HR rep in the room anyway. So that's another story for another day. So then the idea is you put the ball in the other person's court. What do you think is going on with the areas that do need improvement? Why do you think they require improvement? So why are we behind where we need to be? And do you have some suggestions of how we could improve upon it? So already it's a chance we're, we're converting it from a, a tongue lashing or a reprimand or a negative conversation to a collaborative one but one that does not shy away from finding solutions to fix the problem. So now the other person, instead of feeling a victim of your conversation, becomes a partner to your conversation. This is, of course, assuming that you want to keep them in their current position, you want to give them a path to improvement, you want to give them a chance to fix things, and they've not crossed the line so much that it is a disciplinary hearing and so forth. Like I said, another topic for another time. So now, let's say we use this constructive, collaborative style. We've made our first uh, input, maybe in about two or three minutes. Now the other person has a chance to respond. Let's hear them out. Ask them follow-up questions while, while, they're, while they're chatting and sharing. If they're smart, and this, you know, to flip it for a second, let's, let's supposing you're on the receiving end. Be calm. Be focused. 
respond to the question as it is asked, giving just enough context to show the rationale, but not to avoid blame where blame is justified. So you don't, so you take responsibility for the outcome, but you show what things were in your hands and what constraints you were up against. And most importantly, try and be part of the solution. What is it that the rest of the team and the person across the table perhaps can do to help you remedy the solution again? Now, both sides have that opportunity. As you can see, I just toggled between the two sides of the table, if you will. Both sides have the opportunity to make this from a blame game conversation to a collaborative conversation. And that might be the biggest takeaway of this episode. The best way to take a difficult conversation and to improve its outcome is to make it a problem-solving collaborative conversation. It's about growth and learning and education and overall improvement of the team's output. Never forgetting, and maybe this maybe need, need, needs to be even verbalized, you know, especially from the leader. What kind of team culture are we shooting for? And, uh, you know, give the person confidence that you do see them fully being able to achieve that and be a part of an amazing thriving team. If they just focus on X, Y, and Z and keep in touch with you as they make progress. We've got an outline now, folks. The last thought I thought I'd throw in is perhaps, uh, like, like I said earlier, we're trying not to hurt the other person's feelings, right? But now that we're thinking about this, you're not doing a blame game. There's no reason to hurt anybody's feelings. You're not pointing a finger at them, proverbially or otherwise. You're just asking them to help fix the problem. And that's okay. We don't have to hesitate about that. The other pieces, especially young leaders, uh, people who have been in that position very long, or leaders who have, you know, suddenly obtained a lot of responsibility. You go from managing 20 people to 100 people. That happens. Very short time if you're good at your work. So what can happen is we fall into this trap of being people's friends rather than being their leader. And I think that's what I want to leave everyone with today is being a leader doesn't mean you're their manager, their boss, where you reprimand them and you wag a finger in their face and you call them names. Uh, or What it means is it's a chance for all of us to ultimately connect. It's a chance for everyone to look up to you, respect you for your vision, for your planning, for your forethought. And most importantly, for you to show them that you have faith in them, that you do trust their ability. And ultimately, it is about the team, not about any one individual. It's just that everybody who is an individual of the team needs to put the team first. And that's what the conversation is about. That's everything for today, everyone. Hope we had a great conversation here and it wasn't too difficult. Please do feel free to give us a like, a share, or subscribe on the various platforms that you hear podcasts on. We're everywhere that you might find useful to you, podcast-wise. Website, if you're interested, is culturespeak.com. Feel free to drop us a line. Always nice to hear 
from the listeners and have a great rest of your week.